Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls on a First Amendment Friday. In a moment, I want to raise this question, and I don't know that there's a definitive answer to it, but uh, U.S. and the U.S. and Great Britain have been striking out at Houthi rebels in Yemen. And why? Well, there's a long, complicated story behind that. But now Democrats and at least a couple of Republicans have been raising the question of, hey, can the president do this without asking the permission or at least informing the U.S. Congress? And for those Democrats, including Ro Khanna of California and Rashida Tlaib of, of Michigan and Missouri Democrat Cory Bush, they've been saying, look, you can't do this without getting congressional approval. I'm going to respectfully disagree with that, even though it means supporting Joe Biden, because, well, I'll get into the reasons for that in a moment. It is First Amendment Friday, and I want to invite you to join in. We call this every day of the week the best conversation in talk journalism. And we do talk about all the issues of the day, or try to, and you're invited to jump in as well. So if you want to do that, it's 866-HEY-LARS. Uh, if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And uh, if you want to vote in our X poll, used to be called the Twitter poll, now it's the X poll, should border states take control of our border by blocking Joe Biden's border agents? Well, I may have overstated that just a little bit, only because Texas is not trying to control our border. Texas has merely said Joe Biden has turned the Border Patrol into the concierge service for illegal aliens. More, most of the time, prior to Joe Biden, if illegal aliens showed up at our southern border, northern border, they would say our job is to stop people from crossing illegally into the United States. Instead... Instead, Joe Biden has turned the Border Patrol into an agency whose job it is to process illegal aliens into America just as fast as they possibly can. So, given that, the state of Texas, because it's on the front lines of this border invasion, has said if the federal government won't do it, we will. And they did it the right way. They passed laws in the Texas legislature that said you cannot enter Texas from a foreign country if you're not doing it legally. And if you do, we will arrest you. And then guess what happened? At a, in a small town, and you've heard the name of the town before, Eagle Pass, Texas, which has been fr right on the front lines of this border invasion because illegal aliens cross the Rio Grande there, and Border Patrol is not stopping them. They are, if anything, facilitating them. So what's happened? Texas law enforcement has taken over a key entry point, and that is Shelby Park in Eagle Pass, Texas. Texas National Guard units deployed by the governor of Texas have prevented border agents from entering the area. Why? Because the Border Patrol has used the park recently to hold illegals in an outdoor staging area before they are transported for further processing, meaning... Texas is saying to the Border Patrol, you're helping these illegals come into the United States and specifically to come into Texas. We're not going to allow that anymore. So 
Should border states block Joe Biden's border agents? My answer to that question is yes. You can answer it any way you like. You'll find the question at Lars Larson Show on X, formerly Twitter. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. It's brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. I've been a member of that great conservative group for years. I encourage you to join, too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC's better, better for you and better for America. Now, since it's First Amendment Friday, let's start with a naysayer, which is the great way to start any any uh, episode of the Lars Larson Show. Bert, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thanks, Lars. Um, I was unaware that you may have been misinformed in your history uh, regarding uh, Catholic faith and their uh, praying to Mary and other saints. We do not, it is not doctrine for us to pray to them. We pray for their intercession, so there's a difference. It's as if if um, if I need something from my father and my father completely runs my household, I may go to my mother not to ask for her permission to do it, but to ask her to intercede on my behalf with my father to have my father either change his mind or do whatever it is I want done. So we don't we don't pray to Mary or the saints because of or just I mean we're not we're not praying to them to ask them to do something in the same way we would pray to God. We only pray to them to intercede on our behalf. Okay, and now, so that, hold on. Are you a lawyer? Are, are you a lawyer? Are you a lawyer? <laughs> no, sir. No. Okay, but I'm not either. And and it sounds like the kind of explanation that only a lawyer would truly appreciate, where you say, I'm not asking, uh, I'm not actually doing this, but I'm doing it this way, and it, it looks like that, but it's really not. Bert, you understand, I read the book almost every single day with my wife, uh, yeah. the, the Bible, the one book, not all the other stuff that's been created by man, right. because the book itself warns you about all that garbage that's been created by man. And I'm talking not just about Catholics, but about Protestants and, and, and others as well. But when, when the book says, don't pray to anybody else, don't worship anybody else, and then I hear people doing Hail Marys, I say, well, what the heck is that? And you say, oh, I'm not praying to her. I'm just asking her, will you go over and ask God for this? And I said, well, I don't know. My reading of the book says uh, that I get to go directly to God. I go directly well, to God and, it, and, and or Jesus Christ, which is the same thing. Um, I don't have to go through anybody else, nobody else, right? And, it, and, it's, and, and it's interesting that you use the lawyer context. <laughs> Here again, it's, we're interceding in the same way that when I go to court, I, I could ask the judge myself, but I will be more effective if I ask my lawyer to talk to the judge for me. Except that the and book it, tells it, me it, I don't need anybody to intercede for me. I get and, to go directly and to the man I don't himself. Need them, and I don't need them to. Then I why would can you? go to God. Pardon? Why would you? Um, get all the help I can. Yeah, you know what? I'm, you know, and I said, I, I, I brought, I, this came up because I mentioned I'm not Catholic only because I was citing the Catholic schools of New York as a good example of how they run, uh, you know, 110,000 kids through a school system with only 28 administrators and the city of, or the New York public schools have 9,000 administrators and it makes no sense at all. And I was doing, doing it more I was just mentioning it because I always try to tell my audience, if I've got a dog in the fight, I tell them if I'm biased one way or another way, 
And I wanted people to know I I don't practice that faith, but I admire the way they run schools and hospitals and and a whole bunch of other things. But I I get the point you're making. Uh, We're just going to have to agree to disagree on that one. Bert, thank you very much. I appreciate the call, and I always appreciate a great naysayer. Our Twitter poll or X poll today, should border states take control by blocking Joe Biden's border agents? I'd love to hear a naysayer on that one because Joe Biden will not do the job. He seems more concerned with the uh, boundaries of Ukraine than he does about the boundaries of the United States. I'll get to more of your calls in just a moment at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Exploiting your First Amendment right every single day. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. I'll get to more of your calls in a moment. A couple of things I want to mention. First of all, about Joe Biden and the Democrats who are now saying he violated the Constitution by authorizing airstrikes without congressional approval. Well, to declare war, you need the approval of Congress. We also have the War Powers Act. that was a piece of legislation that was passed by the Congress. But I'd ask you this. If you say that to conduct any kind of strike anywhere for any reason on Earth using the U.S. military requires approval of Congress, well, then what does that make the the commander-in-chief? I mean, I realize we have a current compromised commander-in-chief in Joe Biden who doesn't seem to know what day it is. In fact, earlier today, literally, he walked out, he's out a little bit on the stump right now, as much as Joe Biden gets out on the stump during a uh, an election year, and he walked into a coffee shop and literally, I'm going to have the sound by Monday, but he introduced himself by saying, I, uh, I'm, uh, hi, my name's Joe Biden and I work for the government in the U.S. Senate. And I thought, hold on a second. Uh, you've had a vice presidency and a presidency since then, Joe, but apparently he doesn't even know what he's doing most of the time. Having said that, if you say that the commander in chief is the person in charge of the United States military, does every single action against or in a foreign country require the approval of Congress. I think that's not constitutional, and I don't think it makes any sense, because otherwise the Congress becomes the de facto commander-in-chief. They get to be the ultimate veto power over whether a president does anything with the military. And you say, well, on the big stuff. Well, last time I checked, the law and the Constitution did not say, hey, You can't do this. You know, you can't move troops around. You can't put troops in an area. You can't do any of these things without going back to Congress first. And I'd also ask you, from a practical standpoint, if Joe Biden had gone to the United States Congress and said, hey, I need you guys to vote on whether or not I can bomb some of these weapons out of existence, and it becomes a public matter, because that's what a vote of 435 members of the House and 100 members of the Senate is going to take, all of a sudden... You give the bad guys all kinds of warning, which makes no sense either. In any case, glad to take your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go to uh, Linda. Hey, Linda, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? 
Yeah. Hi, Lars. Um, yeah, I, I always knew that you think you're right about every political thing, but I didn't know that you When did I that say that, Linda? Only... Uh, hold on. Be, well, if you're going to start on that basis, when have not... I ever said I'm right about everything? Because all I've <laughs> yeah. told people anyway, from the beginning... I didn't from... know that you were the only one that knows how to pray correctly. Um, did I say you that? I believe that only you... Linda, you, you're starting I, on a really bad note because I've never yeah. said I'm the only person that I'm right about everything politically. What I have always said for 40, you know, for 20, almost 30 years in talk radio, I've said, I will tell you what my opinion is. Do I okay. say that my opinion is always right? No, I don't. I've never okay. said that. Why so would please you don't put words in my mouth. Someone, how, why would you criticize how Catholics pray? Uh, because I think it violates what the Bible says, and they tell me their religion is based on the Bible, but it seems to contradict it. That's the short answer. I see. So any, okay. And so there are some religions who hoop and holler during their services and shake. Is that against the Bible also? I don't have an opinion on that one, Linda. I really don't. Okay. I mean, but I'd ask you, I'll tell you, you've asked me a couple of questions. Can I ask you a couple and get an actual answer? Okay. Uh, the, you, you're familiar with Christianity. It sounds like you might be a Christian, right? Yes, I, I was br- brought up uh, as a Christian, yes. Are, are you, uh, but you're not now? Is that what you're saying? I am more agnostic than anything. I am spiritual. I believe in a God, and I believe that all people are praying to the same God, whether okay. they're Buddhist, Hindu. Um, I, I don't believe that God is so exclusive that only the Christians are You're, are, you're entitled, uh, are, you're are entitled to your opinion. Him. But okay, in the uh, Christian faith, does God tell you don't pray to anybody else? He tells you to pray to him. Yeah, and not to anybody okay. else. Right in the Ten Commandments. Uh, right, right in the middle right. of the Ten Commandments. Right at the mm-hmm. beginning of the Ten Commandments. Right? Okay. Okay. Do the That's Catholics right. pray to somebody other than God? Well, they believe in God and they believe in Jesus. I think that's enough. I didn't you know? ask that. And I didn't ask that. Linda, every this, time no, somebody dodges a question, it makes me want to pursue them. In this case, you're being very nice. I'm trying to be nice back. Do they pray to somebody other than God? Do they pray to Mary? They say they, that they pray for intercession from, from Mary. Okay. I, I under, it I seems like a lawyer them. dodge to me, okay. frankly. Okay. And is there one other topic I could bring up with you? I'd be glad to have you bring up another, because I'm not a theology show, but I am transparent. And the reason I brought up Catholicism is because I think they do a darn good job of running schools and hospitals and things like that. And I was using them as an example that they run the public, they run their schools a whole lot better than most of the public schools in New York City. So, and I was just trying to tell, because some people assume, well, you just think the Catholic schools are great because you're a Catholic. A lot of people don't know I'm not, but I mention it. So I'm just trying to be transparent, unlike everybody else in this society these days. Yes, they run a fine school, and I'm glad that my nieces go to Catholic school. Um, You have said that if a parent helps a a child with... uh, uh, gender dysphoria, they are doing child abuse. No, let's let's fine-tune it. I know where you're going, but can I fine-tune it? If you want to help a child who has a mental difficulty, that help means something else. If by, by help you mean a parent who goes to a doctor and says, I want you to chemically castrate my teenage son, or I want you to give hormones to stop the puberty in my teenage daughter, that's abuse. 
And that's abuse as defined by you because you don't believe in, in, I believe you probably don't, do you believe that there is such a legitimate thing as gender dysphoria? Someone yes. is born. It's a mental like, difficulty. Like a yes. Defect. It's like a birth Well, defect. okay, it's there are a very defect. small number of people, very small, and, and I can get the stats and they're not right in front of me, but I've looked them up before of people who have, you know, there, there was a young lady who ran in the Olympics uh, in uh, Brazil a few years ago who is a biological woman, and she presents herself as a woman, but she has testes inside of her, which means she's got a whole heck of a lot of testosterone, and she's got a, a great physique because of that, because she's a yeah, young lady, but is, she has... There is genuinely gender dysphoria, but, and those yes, people should but, be helped. Okay, those and, people, and I don't but, see but Linda, Linda if a child comes to you, if a child, if a child comes to you who does not have a physical uh, difference at birth and simply says, I was born with female parts, but I really think I'm a boy. Is that a mental problem or should you agree to, to chemically change, chemically and surgically change that child? Well, okay. Suppose you were born. No, please as answer a man. my. Look, I answer no. your questions, Linda. Yes. The deal, yes. the deal, I, okay. I insist on is this: if if you ask me a question, I'll answer it. If I ask you a question and you dodge it, is it okay for a parent to say I am going to seek out me- medical professionals to chemically or surgically alter my son or daughter? Is that okay? I think it's okay if uh, perhaps the child is not physically different, but perhaps the child is a boy and he has estrogen up the yin-yang and and doesn't feel like a boy. Which can probably be corrected by things other than cutting off his penis and giving him pills to stop puberty. Agreed? Uh, Perhaps, but why are you so down on transgenders? I'm down on people who want to chemically alter children now when people become adults and linda you say you listen to the show i've been very clear if you're 18 years old you're an adult in the eyes of the law in the united states and you want to have your arms cut off or your legs cut off or your eyes poked out or your genitals removed or other modifications two response to that one oh well three one i'm sad for you and i wish you got some mental help two go ahead and do it you're 18 years old you can read write and count You should be able to do whatever you want. And three, you pay for it. Don't come to the American taxpayers and say, I want to mutilate my body and I want you to participate financially in the mutilation of my body. What what did you say to that in the last 10 seconds? Well, I just just believe that uh, kids, there are kids with legitimate uh, gender uh, dysphoria that, that needs some treatment and some... God help them if they go to mom and dad and say they think they're a pirate. Back in a moment. The Lars Larson Show. Just your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson, 
Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails, especially on a First Amendment Friday. So what have we got? 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. Should border states take control of the border? When Joe Biden's border agents are trying to facilitate a massive invasion of America, which is exactly what's happening. Uh, I don't think anybody's in any doubt about the facts of the matter. We're coming up now very quickly in about 10 days on Joe Biden's third full year in office. And we now have more than 9 million, it may be as many as 10 million, illegal aliens who have entered the country. Very small number have been sent back. Uh, And Joe Biden says the border is under control. So Texas took action. They said, we've made a state law that says you can't enter Texas from a foreign country unless you're doing it legally. They passed the law through their legislature. It was legal for them to do it. And now Texas National Guard and Texas Public uh, Safety have gone to work, especially in Shelby Park and Eagle Pass, Texas, and said, we're going to kick the Border Patrol out of Shelby Park which is one of the places that illegal aliens cross the Rio Grande and come into America. And the Border Patrol is backed off. Texas National Guard is there to make sure that uh, they keep uh, the number of people entering the United States through Texas to as small a number as possible. Let's go to George. Hey, George, welcome to First Amendment Friday. What's on your mind? Hey, George. Oh, hey, how are you doing? George, if you're not there, I'm going to hey. go. Nope. Okay, he's not there. Let's go to Jay. Hey, Jay, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hey, uh, Lars, thank you for taking my call. I want to uh, let you know that I appreciate um, you helping me figure out uh, which wing I'm on, the right or the left. <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you. For, if I've helped, uh, thank I've, you for that. <laughs> I, I've listened to the show for years. I wanted to see if you wanted to touch the subject. Uh, Pacific Northwest Coast, uh, some of the area of the Oregon Coast um, cities, um, I probably don't need to say the name, but um, they've been issuing vouchers for the, uh, the homeless to stay in in hotels. Terrible and idea. To me, it seems like... It, to me, it just seems like like we're we're providing an out, a vacation. Um, I I have to pay to be able to go and vacation with my family out at the coast, and it just doesn't seem like we're we're actually looking for the resolution to the problem. They're not. Um, our powers above. Our powers above in Oregon. I I think. Um, are just putting a Band-Aid on, on the situation. No, they're not and, even putting a Band-Aid, Jay. I used to have an alcoholic dad. He's passed away now. Would I have been putting a Band-Aid on the situation uh, when when he came to live with me toward the end of his life, not right at the end of his life? He was staying with friends at that point. Uh, but I said to him, you can live in our home. You can't drink because he had a massive drinking problem. Now, what if I had told him, like public officials all over this country are doing, we want to have low barrier shelters. And that's a fancy weasel word uh, of describing places where people who are living on the streets, most of them addicted to drugs or alcohol or both, are told you can live here and you don't have to give up the drugs and you don't have to give up the alcohol. Now, if you do that, you're not only not fixing the problem, you're aiding and abetting the problem. You're making the problem worse by telling people 
It is drinking and drugs, in, in many cases, that have put you on the streets. And now, as we give you huge amounts of resources from the taxpayers to give you a shelter so you're, you're warm and dry in the wintertime, but we're not going to demand that you stop using drugs and alcohol. They, they call them low-barrier shelters because they know that most of the public doesn't know how to translate that into English. They're shelters where you can still shoot heroin, smoke methamphetamine, and drink yourself into the gutter. And if you said it that way, yeah, say, yeah. do you want one of those in your community? Most people would say no. Oh, and then that's exactly what we're doing is we're actually providing, uh, like you said, a, a warm, nice shelter for them to continue using and abusing. Yeah. And on top of that, you start looking at the economy. If I, uh, when I when I think about going out towards the coast, I think about going out vacationing and enjoying. I, I necessarily don't want you to be inviting people that that choose a different lifestyle, so to speak. Well, and and let me tell you something, Jay. Los Angeles right now is considering a proposal where they want to require every hotel, even the big fancy hotels to say to them, at the end of the day, when you've checked in most of your scheduled guests, how many rooms do you have left over? And a big hotel might say, well, we usually have 10 or 12 rooms left over. They want the, they want the hotels to hand over those rooms to the, to the city for that night. And they want to be able to park people in those hotel rooms that night. And I know there are people who say, well, that sounds like a very humanitarian thing to do. Get them off the streets. It's cold outside. It may be raining outside, even in places like Los Angeles. And you say, hold on. So you're going to tell these private hotels they have to hand over these rooms to people who are, number one, not going to pay for them. Number two, when you check into a hotel, Jay, does every single hotel you ever check into ask for picture ID? Yes. And do they all ask for a credit card? Yep, for damages and and what may the cause be. Yeah, because if you go in there and break a chair or or steal the towels or whatever it is you do, you know the hotel is going to charge you. What does the homeless person who's given this free voucher know? He knows I, I don't answer to anybody. I don't have to pay for anything I damage. And frankly, I've seen some horrific stories, especially out of L.A., where L.A. and L.A. County have bought big hotels and they've installed hundreds of homeless people in those hotels. And when they're done, they have millions of dollars of damage that, again, the taxpayers have to pay for. And one more time, they're not telling the so-called homeless person, the drug addict or the boozer, that you have to meet some standard of behavior. Jay, if you checked into a hotel and you started breaking stuff and making a lot of noise and making yourself a nuisance to everybody else in the hotel, how long would it take for the hotel to tell you to get out? Uh, probably about uh, 15 minutes into it at the most. I'd yeah, they, they'd, boot your, they'd boot your butt right out of that hotel. The homeless are not in that spot. And we're rewarding them. We're saying you don't have to do anything. Well, yeah, you don't have to, you don't have to quit booze yeah, so. or, or anything else. We're, we're setting them out. Uh, we're sending them from the bigger areas. Um, I won't say what cities, but they're they're. Oh, hey, if we go over towards the the coast area, then we get free rooms. Yep, and that's exactly what they do. We're sending all the worst messages in the world. We're saying you're on drugs, you can stay on drugs. You're boozed up, you can stay boozed up. 
you behave in an antisocial way, you can continue to do that. And not only are we not going to do anything, we're going to reward you for that behavior. Oh, and you say it's booze and drugs that made you this obnoxious person who, who can't stay with family, can't stay with friends. You've already run through all those options. And now the, the, the powers that be are saying we're going to take the taxpayers money from hardworking people and we're going to give it to these people without any kind of preconditions at all. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Not one little bit. Glad for your call. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. I wanted to mention a couple of things. Number one, producer Joel spotted this one. Do you know what it costs to buy a Joe Biden for President bumper sticker? If you haven't seen too many of these on cars or trucks, it may be because apparently Joe Biden's presidential bumper stickers have been hit by the same kind of inflation that has hit the rest of us. They used to cost a buck or two. They're up to seven, six dollars and ninety-nine cents, almost seven bucks. And it may be that the reason you're not seeing a lot of Joe Biden bumper stickers, they cost a lot of money. They got hit by inflation too. Back in a moment, you've got the Lars Larson show. For a strong Wi-Fi signal, his voice will reach you. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on First Amendment Friday. If you want to jump in, it's 866-HEY-LARS, best conversation in talk journalism. If you're a naysayer, we put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And I've looked forward to saying Happy New Year to Lieutenant Colonel Jim Carafano, expert in national security and foreign policy challenges with the Heritage Foundation. Colonel, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me on the best radio show. That's that's very kind of you. Now, let me ask you something. Um, More than 20 years ago, I took my first trip to Israel. It was actually sponsored by a group, and and there were a number of Jewish people in the group. I'm Protestant, uh, uh, Protestant Christian. And when I got back, they wanted to talk to me about what I had seen and just ask, you know, you know, what you absorbed from the trip. I did the radio show there for a week. And I said, I want to ask you a question when I was done with all that, uh, because they're very nice people. And I said, why? Why in the world do Democrats uniformly, seemingly, support the Demo- or why do Jewish Americans support the Democrat Party instead of Republicans? I would think you'd be more at home uh, on the conservative side of the aisle. And even they didn't know. But. With all the events recently, the attack in Israel, the response, you know, the craziness on American college campuses, the crazy pro-Palestinian protests in America, do you think that some Jewish Americans are starting to reconsider where they make their political home? Yeah, and and but you know, here's how we got here from there. The American Jewish community is smaller. I mean, you know, for for decades there were more Jews in America. Than there were in Israel. That's true. So the Jewish support for Israel was so vital, but the American Jewish community is increasingly smaller, and it's become increasingly secular and increasingly liberal. And as a result of that, um, it has, by and large, um, drifted into 
the Democratic Party. And if you look at the traditional Jewish organizations, they have always been kind of strictly nonpartisan because because they were mainly focused on the defense of Israel, and uh, Israel is a bipartisan issue in the United States. And it's only in the last decade, as the liberal, the Democratic Party has become um, more uh, um, anti-Israeli, that 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 that's really changed. And so, yeah, so the party has shifted out from under their feet, and many of the core issues of American Jews are at risk. Freedom, freedom of religion, um, your Jewish identity, uh, uh, the security of Israel. These are things which are now, you know, even though there are prominent Democratic leader, leaders that are still strongly supportive of Israel, like, you know, Chuck Schumer, Schumer and, and, and the and others, president. Yeah. Yep. yeah, but but the party has the party has shifted. And, and if you look at even the most strident defenders of Israel and, and the most strident defenders of Jewish identity, and opponents of anti-Semitism, they have self-censored because they, they don't want to butt heads with their own party. Yeah. They've self-censored because they don't themselves. want to butt with their own party, right? Well, and so, yeah, I think it, it is, so. If you're if you're a if you're a person of Jewish identity, today, it doesn't matter if you're Orthodox or liberal or urban or rural or whatever. You know, go through the issues and ask who better aligns with your values. And I think one of the mistakes or one of the lies that the liberal Jews have really bought into is this idea that the the kind of identity politics that the leftists play is who are, who are conservatives and what makes you a conservative. And, and they said, well, you can't be a conservative because you don't agree with them on this or that. But the, but, but conservative identity is not a single issue thing. And so there are conservatives who have different views on life. I think generally all conservatives are pro-life, but, but they all, they don't all exactly think on how, how you, how that works out, right? And so, nope. and all conservatives don't agree on foreign policy and other things. And so, liberal liberal politics today is an orthodoxy. Conservative politics today is a debate and a dialogue. And so, and and so, where are you more comfortable? In somebody that maybe is your eighty percent friend and maybe disagrees with you on twenty percent, or on a person who disagrees with you on core values and demands <laughs> your support, including things like, well, as a Jew, you need to denounce Israel. As a Jew, you need to embrace anti-Semitism. As a Jew, you need to embrace diversity, equity, and inclusion. Even though DEI doesn't recognize Jews as an oppressed minority, it considers nope. them part of the colonialist and oppressors. I mean, this is, I, I do think that has, you know, just like we have seen in the African-American community, in Hispanic communities all over the country, people thinking that, well, you know, it's like, it is, it is like the world changing under your feet. And you have to ask yourself, does your political identity that you've embraced over the last decades really align with who you are? Because political identities in America have shifted dramatically over the last decade. Well, you know, lately, I remember when I was a kid. I, I'm well, sorry, go ahead. I, just, I have to show, no, I just have to show. Sure. When I was a kid, I went to ask my dad, I said, Dad, are we a Democrat or Republican? He said, we're Democrats. And I said, well, why are we Democrats? He goes, because we can't afford to be Republicans. <laughs> you know, and, and, and later in life, you know, I, when I was a teenager, I said, well, you know, how, why, Dad, why are we Republicans? Well, he goes, the, the Republican Club has a better bar. So, you know, so, the, you know, so <laughs> my, my parents, you know, over the, they, they changed their politics because the, the world, you know, they were the same people. They had the same values. But 
but the, the context the politi- of the political environment there had changed over time. And I just think that the American Jews today need to have a serious conversation. I guess where do I, they really belong? I, I just see Joe Biden, who at least makes a pretense of supporting Israel, and then funds through various actions, funds Iran which funds Hamas, which funds the Houthi rebels, which, you know, and, and you say, right. you, you're going to be part of the party that, that allegedly put that guy in the White House, and this is what he's doing? He's funding things that, that threaten not only the existence of the United States, but the existence of the state of Israel? That's who you're with? It doesn't make well, sense. Let me give you domestic examples. When they did a strategy on anti-Semitism, one of the one of the experts that they engaged with to write the strategy was the Council on American Islamic Relations. The front they group for Hamas. A, they are both anti-Semitic and they are and they are um, you know sponsors of of, of terrorism. Uh, when 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 Jew hatred in America spiked after October seventh, after the massacre of Jews, when Jew heritage um, uh, hate crimes spiked literally, you know, many times over. The the administration's response is, well, we have to write a strategy on combating Islamophobia. Yep. And that does, it, it doesn't make any sense. And I certainly hope that, you know, Jewish Americans take a look at this. I'm not one, but uh, Jewish Americans take a look at, at what they should be backing and what it's actually producing in the way of both domestic policy and foreign policy. Lieutenant Colonel Jim, Jim Carafano, James Carafano, is an expert in national security and foreign policy challenges with Heritage. Jim, thank you very much, and Happy New Year to you. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out our Instagram feed. We have some fun over there. You can see our Facebook page and everything else. And be sure to tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. People say our country... Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Friday! Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Should a teacher be fired for telling students that when they describe themselves as straight, it is offensive and that students should find another way to describe being heterosexual? I'm going to tell you the particulars on that in a moment. But first, welcome to First Amendment Friday. It's the best conversation every single day of the week. But on Fridays, we open up the phone lines. And if you want to sound off, it's easy to do. 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. As I said, emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our X poll used to be called the Twitter poll, but we've gone to X. Uh, X says, should border states take control by blocking Joe Biden's border agents? That's what's happening in Texas right now. 
Texas has passed state laws to address the massive invasion of America by illegal aliens, now counting about 9 million as we head up in about 10 days to be at Joe Biden's third year in office, 9 million illegal aliens during that time, at least. The number could be 10, and they're coming in at a rate of about 10,000 a day, about 300,000 a month which means that we may add another three or four million just this year. So should the border states take control? Well, in Eagle Pass, Texas, today, Shelby Park, which is one of the places where illegals come across the Rio Grande River, and Texas National Guard showed up. The Border Patrol agents were asked to leave the area, and the Texas National Guard has taken over. And why? Because border The Border Patrol, the CBP, used to be the agency that tried to safeguard America's border. It is now the agency that Joe Biden is using to process illegal aliens into America. They're doing exactly the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. Now, is that the fault of the individual border agents? Of course not. Joe Biden is head of the executive branch. He calls the shots. But you can find the question, should border states take control by blocking Joe Biden's border agents and doing the jobs themselves as they are in Texas? I'd say yes to that. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show uh, on our uh, at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find that question on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC. The Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I believe in. I join. You should, too. Uh, Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better. Better for you and better for America. Now, about that teacher who decided that saying the word straight is offensive. Let me tell you the circumstances. I have a confession first, though, because I always like to be transparent with you about where I'm coming from. I'm straight. I have been all my life. And thanks to God, women are the best thing in creation. Based on today's news, I'd be in trouble if I were still in high school. For no reasons that no sensible person can ever explain, a Seattle teacher lambasted one of his students for describing himself as straight. Ian Golash, who's chair of social studies at Chief Seattle International High School, told students that the answer straight was offensive. Now, why were the kids talking about this at all? Because the teacher decided that, uh, to hand out a worksheet. And in this worksheet, in this crazy class, is a public school in Seattle. It asks students to consider their own racial, ethnic, gender, and economic status, as well as their sexual orientation. So when the kid was asked, what are you? He said, I'm straight. Now, it sounds like a guilt trip for mainstream kids. This taxpayer-funded indoctrinator, Mr. Golash, tells students, I do not use the term straight because it implies that to not be straight is to be crooked, and that sounds bad. The teacher went on to condemn other male students in his class as products of the patriarchy. Maybe Mr. Golash doesn't know the etymology or the word history of the word straight which gay Americans invented and used to describe homosexuals who had left that lifestyle. No wonder your kids don't learn. My advice, take your kids straight out of these failed government indoctrination camps. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's go to uh, Al. Al, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Hi, Lars. How are you? I'm doing quite well for a First Amendment Friday. How about you? Good, good. 
I love that last note, that female naysayer that was on that wouldn't answer any questions. Well, it so, does happen. And, Al, by the way, I know that it frustrates people. If you ask a question, give a person an answer, no matter what the circumstance. I mean, on a talk show, if I walk into a business and I say, do you have any whatever it is I'm looking for, and they don't give me an answer, they just start talking about something else uh, or, or talking around the question, just give me an answer. And when people ask me a question like you, I, I owe it to you to give you a straight answer, as, as straight an answer as I can possibly give you, even if straight is offensive to people like Ian Golosh. But what was on your mind? <laughs> well, um, I worked at the VA for a while, and we were in a seminar that we had to attend uh, regarding trans people, and we were told that if a man transitioning to a woman wanted to have a pap smear, we had to give him one. <laughs> and, of course, dummy me, I raised my hand and said, what do you smear? That's a great but question. More serious, seriously, though, that's medical fraud, insurance fraud, and fraud, waste, and abuse. Or doing a prostate exam on a, a, a female pr transitioning a male, isn't it? No, no, it's a male transitioning. No, to no, I know, but if if a female transitioning I, to male came in and said, "I'm now a man. I'd like to have a prostate exam," uh, you'd say, "You you right. don't have one, ma'am," and you'd probably be in trouble with your boss because you said, "Ma'am," and because you said you don't have a prostate. Are there any women out there with prostates? <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not a medical yeah, doctor, <laughs> but you know this is this is fraud. And when are the when are the rest of the people in the medical establishment going to call it out for what it is? And and but what bothers me more than that, Al, and I've said it, I've said so on the show, is when parents say, "I want to have my child chemically and surgically mutilated." And if you're an adult and you want to do crazy stuff with your own body and you're paying the bill yourself, then go for it. But children should be off limits. Could we agree on that? We can definitely agree on that. And, you know, I, I loved your analogy earlier, you know, um, about 20 minutes ago when you, when you gave that analogy that, you know, um, just because somebody, what was it you said, somebody um, wants oh. to be a goat? Oh, I said, I said, thank God the child doesn't say, Mom and Dad, I think I'm a pirate. And Mom and Dad march them down to the medical center to have one leg and one eye removed from their child because he thinks he's a, a pirate. Yeah, that's the, that's the kind of trouble we may be heading up to. Al, thanks very much. It's First Amendment Friday. We've got our mop, pop, pop culture and movie guy, Christian Toto, coming up next. And you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. want to be at. 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you on First Amendment Friday. And if you want to join the best conversation and talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you are a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. And a guy who's very rarely a naysayer is our friend Kristen Toto, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast. Kristen, welcome back. Oh, good to be back. So tell me this. Uh, do we need another Mean Girls? You raise the question. There's <laughs> there's a brand new Broadway musical inspired by a film that's 20 years old. What's the, what's the point? Yeah, the original film was and is quite good. Tina Fey was the writer, and it really did uh, make us laugh, make us think a bit, it really capture that teen angst. And, of course, because you can't let anything like that alone, they made a musical out of it. And now we have a movie that is based on the musical. And I have to say, I enjoyed it more than, more than I thought. I thought the trailer was rather weak, but I got much more, much more chuckles out of the film itself. But having said all that, it really just feels like a remake with a few songs thrown in for good measure. So it has that feeling of familiarity, which doesn't really work. Uh, you know, as the movie went on, it got a little bit weaker and weaker. So it's fine. I think if you love the original movie, you'll enjoy this as well. But you do have to wonder the why. I mean, I guess music is great, and, and some of the songs are enjoyable, as, as is some of the choreography. But, you know, I wish they would have maybe shaken up the formula a bit or made it a little bit more different. Because as is, they're repeating a lot of the jokes from the first movie. And they were pretty good the first time, but you've heard them. So that make, makes them a little less special. Yeah, there is something about jokes. There's a whole category of jokes that are good the first time and almost dead uh, any time <laughs> after that. But w- what this goes back to is something you and I talk about quite a bit. And that is, uh, why is it that we can't get some brand new ideas out of these people in all the various forms of entertainment, whether it's film or theater or anything else? Are they just going to forever gonna be retreading old ideas? Well, give an example why you're seeing this. I'm just checking online right now. And Mean Girls is going to open probably with $33 million, which is not too shabby, especially for a movie that shouldn't have a huge budget. I mean, this is not a, a superhero film or some action-packed movie. It's just a comedy with the music thrown in. So that name recognition did help in this case. And often it's Hollywood responding to the public and also Hollywood just deathly afraid of original ideas that could tank. And and one of them did late last year, The Creator, which I thought, I didn't think it was great, but it was good, it was interesting, it was novel. And that movie didn't do very well, and that wasn't based on anything. It just was a fresh story. So I think that Hollywood should be more bold and should be more original, but I think audiences should do their part as well and give newer stories a chance, too. Well, let's talk about the beekeeper then, because I've all, I have to admit, I like Jason Statham as an actor. I don't know the guy. I've never interviewed him, but he, it sounds like an interesting premise. Is it? You know, on paper, it is. He plays a retired, I don't even know what to call him. He's a secret agent man. You could Maybe that's the best way to say it. And, uh, of course, he's stirred back into action when someone he cares about deeply uh, kills herself based on a big scam and, of course, it's Jason Statham. He knows exactly what to do in these situations. So what starts out as something that's a little bit different and fresh and kind of quiet becomes a loud, big, dumb action movie. Two different, two different, uh, two things of note here. One is there's no one who does it better than Jason Statham. And some of these action scenes are rather jarring in a good way, bone crunching. You know the drill. But yep. also one of the main villains here is a 
a character who is the son of a president. He likes to snort coke in the White House. <laughs> he is a ne'er-do-well. Uh, he's involved with criminal activities. And he needs his parents to save the day and cover him from uh, getting arrested. So the filmmaker says, oh, no, this isn't Hunter Biden. But, boy, it sure looks and sounds a bit like a Hunter Biden-like character. So, you know, you, you do with that what you will. But it did, it did ring interesting to me. How did how in the world did they get that past the uh, the censoring types in Hollywood who I think are pretty good at holding back anything that pokes fun at at uh, prominent liberals? You know I don't know, but you know it, it's so interesting that the uh, uh, you know that they even did it in the first place, and right away the media said, "Hey, did you make this film about so and so?" And they said, "Oh no, oh no!" But when you watch the film, I think it kind of <laughs> hits differently. Christian, thanks very much. We appreciate your time. Have a happy Friday. Thanks, you too. That is Christian Toto, the host of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, and he's our go-to guy when it comes to uh, things like movies and pop culture. John's a naysayer on a First Amendment Friday. Hey, John, welcome to the program. What do we disagree about? Hey, Lars, how are you? First-time caller, long-time listener. Thank you. I'm doing quite well. What's up? Great. Hey, Lars, I was, again, I've listened to your show for maybe 15 plus 20 years. Absolutely you. love your content and your, your, uh, your take on things. But I heard, uh, uh, yesterday about a gentleman that you were talking with about bank fees and, uh, and overdrafts and, uh, and essentially, and again, I forget the gentleman's name, but it, uh, you recollect the Seton Motley, the guy from less government. And what, what we we're talking about was he was bringing up the fact that Congress wants to limit the amount of interest that's charged on payday loans and car title loans where, you need some money. You don't have any credit. You don't have any credit card. You go down to the payday lender or to the car title company. I don't have any financial ties to them. And uh, and he was saying they're doing this just to benefit the big banks. And they're complaining that, well, the you know, on an annual basis, the car title and payday lenders charge a massive amount, even though almost nobody keeps those loans for a year. So it's like stating a an objection based on a number that's an annual number when you never do it annually. And, uh, and, and, you know, which makes no sense. And what I compared it to was bank fees, because if you or I NSF to check today and we said, oh, I thought my paycheck was going to land in the bank on Friday. It's going to land on Monday. I did an NSF and it may be the, the amount your non-sufficient funds is 20 bucks and they're going to charge you 50 bucks. That's well, like a 250 percent fee for four days, which on an annual basis is like thousands of percents of interest. Except you understand why they hit you with the NSF fee, because you're not supposed to hit bottom and write checks for more money than you have in your account. That's what we were talking about. I totally agree. And I did hear the pretty much the totality of your conversation, Lars. Um, but I, I, first of all, I'm a banker, and I have been for better part of 13, 14 years. So right. I don't. I, I do have a little bit of dog in the fight. I will tell you that I have worked for the big boys um, in the past. I do now work for a community bank. God I guess, bless you. And I, I am on the. <laughs> well, thank you. And I'm on the other side of the balance sheet now because I always say, first of all, banks are not a nonprofit organization. We are there right. to make money. Yep. So I hear, uh, you know, often about NSF fees and how, you know, we joke and laugh all the time in the banking industry. And we always people always come in and say, well, it wasn't me and I didn't do that. And, you know, um, can you reverse the overdraft charges? And we can legitimately. And if there is 
One of the things that really like an innocent mistake was, where, where where the customer really intended right. And you said it's a good customer. Now, for the person who's, you know, banging the NSF button, you know, once a month. Left and right. Uh, yeah, no, there's sir. a reason yeah, because not... when something's painful, you stop doing it. Most most people do. Anyway. Amen. Yes, sir. Now, when, no, I when wasn't objecting to about... it. I was just saying, John, yeah. is it ironic when you hear people saying payday lenders, they're ripoffs because they charge, you know, a thousand percent a year. Except you don't take the loan out for a year. I said, well, what's an NSF fee if you took it, if you put it on an annual basis? If it's 50 oh, bucks for NSFing 20 bucks for four days, what is that on an annual basis? 12,000%, which sounds awful, except like you said, there's a good reason for it. There is. And, and, you know, and one thing that Seton was saying that really like I was kind of almost yelling in my car, like hearing it. And he said, Every time you use your debit card, and he was talking about, you know, you don't uh, get credit using your debit card. Frankly put, you shouldn't. Uh, again, you know, maybe I uh, breathe a different uh, or uh, a little different about my philosophy about that. Um, but he was saying that if and when that uh, there's an erroneous charge or a fraudulent charge that the bank won't give you your money back. And he used the time or the time frame, Lars, a few times. He said six months to a year. That's totally inaccurate. And I know that. Okay, I'll, bu- I'll bust him credit. on that. I'll, I'll ask him yeah, about that because. Pro- Please do. Yeah, it's called provisional credit. And if Lars sat at John's desk and said, hey, I didn't make these charges. The very first thing a bank does is give your money back and then we research it. Now, if we find out that Lars was out and actually used it, then we will refund and we will uh, take that money back. But it's- That's the way to do business. John, thanks. The, for the Lars Larson Show. Looking for a new way to give? Want to talk to Lars? 866-HEY-LARS. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. So you wonder if the Democrats cheated in 2020, and they did, and they want to win an election with a failed candidate, already failed candidate like Joe Biden, what are they going to do in 2024? And the answer is they're going to cheat again, except like most clever thieves or criminals, they're not going to cheat the same way. They're going to cheat by using illegal aliens. And before you say, but Lars, illegal aliens who are not citizens cannot vote. Ah, perish that thought because uh, they can. They're going to be allowed to vote. This is going to be engineered, and I'm going to tell you how in just a moment. First, welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Uh, and uh, you can also vote in our, our X poll. You'll find that at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Darren's on the line from Canada. Darren, I don't hear from Canada very often, but I love getting the call. What's on your mind, well, and welcome. Well, sir, first of all, thank you very much for taking the call. The wife and I, any chance we're together, we, you know, she listens to your show all the time, and any time we're together, we listen to your show. And you know why we listen to it? No, tell it's me. the only radio show with common sense. <laughs> Thank you. It's, it's all, I mean, sir, some of the people that phone in don't have any common sense, but most people do, generally. And I don't understand, like, 
like, because I'm from Canada, you know, and I got lots of American friends, and that, and that's why, you know, a lot, you know, America was built on, like, great things like Ford, Levi's, jeans, all those businesses made, and Chevy, of course, uh, made made America great. And then for some reason, Lars, people have forgotten. I don't get it. It's like the Democrats, it's like, to me, I, I think it is like a cult. When people are in a cult, they make really bad decisions. Their eyes are blinded by all this 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 push by this cult, and they make crazy decisions. You cannot tell me that having you guys are getting invaded. If you don't see that as a full-on invasion, you're blinded. It's crazy. Like Britain had uh, had mass immigration. It crippled Britain, and it's yep. just getting worse and worse. You got communities saying that they want Shirley Law or whatever that is. Stoning Sharia. People. Yeah, it's called yeah. Sharia yeah. Law, yeah. where. I mean, it's so it's so obscene. It's it's Muslim Sharia law, and it's so obscene you can't believe it. But Darren, I I, I take your point. I mean, in some ways, Darren, you ever run it? You ever seen people uh, at a, I see them at a distance. I don't know any people personally like this who've inherited a lot of money and then they become liberals and they're anti they're anti capitalist. They're anti this. They want gigantic taxes mostly because they grew up with everything they'd ever want and know that they'd have it for the rest of their lives. And they've had it so good that they then say, well, I feel guilty about that. And I, th- I think they're Americans. I mean, you see American kids on college campuses who are in one of the most elite groups in the world because you got 8 billion people and a tiny percentage of them are Americans and a tiny percentage of those ever get to go to college and spend four years just studying something, knowing that you're going to walk out into probably a six figure job and a nice life for the rest of your life. That does not describe the vast majority of the eight billion people on this planet. So they're the super, super elite group that have then said, well, we hate the stuff that made all this possible for us. And you think, well, if you hate it so much, move to Sudan or move to Yemen. And see how life, you know, t- try a semester in Sudan. And and then after that, tell us how much you hate the fact that America has capitalism and uh, God-given rights and a constitution and a court system, what it is today. I mean, you, you, you think maybe they just don't understand how the rest of the world lives and how tough it is. And they've got it so good that they don't they don't see it. So years ago, like maybe, I think it was four years ago, the wife and I, we flew to Minot, North Dakota and drove back. And so we went to Mount Rushmore. It was wow. the bicentennial at Mount Rushmore. So I don't know, if you're an American listening, you need to go and see that. It's my, and I'm from Canada. I've so seen it. It's much, for an American, it would mean a lot more to you. So anyway, so we went there and it was a bicentennial and they're inviting all these military folks up to shake their hands down, and it was at night. It was breathtaking. It was goosebumps, because here all these soldiers have fought for America. They stood for America. So then the craziest thing now is that here you got the Biden, they're giving all this money away to these people that are legally coming in, and then they chuck their veterans under the bus. Yep. What did they give them? Did they give them gift cards for five grand to go live in a hotel? No, they have to fight. They have to fight as a veteran to get anything from the government. And they fought for the U.S. It just, it just makes well, me... But, but, Darren, you know what? Your country's equally a mystery. I mean, I, I've been following oh, this guy, oh, Pierre yeah. Polyev, you know, who's running oh, against yeah. that nitwit high school kid, Trudeau. And oh, you, yeah. you say, hold on, doesn't anybody get it? 
you know, the carbon tax is driving everybody in the poor house. And here's Polyev making all kinds of sense. And I'm thinking they ought to make him prime minister by acclamation. You know, heck with the election. Just just put him in charge because Trudeau has taken your country from surpluses and, you know, and prosperity uh, into the dregs. And he's doing it because he's following the same kind of cultish behavior. He's behaving in the cult of the environment. Right. I'm having a happy day today. Don't start talking about my country because I'm not a happy Canadian. <laughs> anyway, well, so I got to tell you something. Want- two two things. Two things to close out on. Number sure. one, you, you married a very smart woman, and you know, and oh, to I gotta her, let her know that. And to her, make, make sure she reminds you all the time that you married up. I I I love her to bits. And, uh, yeah, smart decisions, you know, <laughs> you know, smart decisions, listening to a great radio show. Thank you, Darren. And, and there's a lot of great Americans that are fighting for America and America needs to wake up because you guys are being invaded. And I just hope that I, I don't just before you go away, I don't know if it's true. I, I heard that, that? they're going to allow them to be able to buy weapons. Immigrate immigrants could buy weapons. I like, yep. really. Yep. Well, then they're, they're going to start an army and, and vote. start fighting. And, and, and vote. Darren, I got to take it. Darren, I appreciate the call from Canada. Uh, let me go back to what I mentioned at the beginning of this segment, and that is, so you say, well, if you're not a citizen, you can't vote. Guess what? Arizona is offering the example of how the Biden crime family plans to hang on to power for Joe Biden, and that is, in Arizona, they're going to let illegal aliens vote in the presidential election. Arizona is being very clear about it. They ended up with Katie Hobbs as governor of the state instead of Carrie Lake. And that was because of cheating. And so what they're going to do, because Katie Hobbs used to be the secretary of state of Arizona, what they're going to do is they say, well, here in Arizona, we insist that you show proof of citizenship before you can vote in a state election. But if you won't show us proof of citizenship, we will still register you to vote but will register you only for federal elections. Now, because the Supreme Court had struck down an Arizona law that required voters to show proof of citizenship in national elections. It was a 7-2 to two decision. It was highly technical. But the bottom line was, you can't vote in the state of Arizona, but you will, if you're an illegal alien, be able to vote in the federal election. Joe Biden not only wrecked America economically with 9 million illegal aliens and 10,000 more per day coming in every single day, but now he's got 9 million, maybe 8 million happy voters, illegal alien voters, and he's counting on them to push him across the finish line. It's First Amendment Friday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show. So tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show and check me out on Instagram.
when my Stream the Lars Larson Show live at LarsLarson.com. Sadly, it, it, it makes an already uh, horrific situation worse um, because this is someone who apparently has chosen to repeatedly re-enter the country um, illegally and once here uh, continues to flaunt the U.S. laws. That is Christopher Decker, and he's a defense attorney, and he's talking about the case involving a 37-year-old illegal alien. The man's name is Jose Guadalupe Menjavar Alas, and he was allowed to continually re-enter the United States and then get deported and then re-enter again. And while he was in our country, he would violate the law on a regular basis, and the system let him do it. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I'll get to your calls in just a moment. But I got to tell you about this case. It's out of Boulder, Colorado. And there's a young lady who's been killed and her son as well. Her teenage son were both killed by this illegal alien, allegedly. In this case, this Menjavar Alas had been deported four times from the United States. And each time he would enter again. Now, we don't know how many other times he entered illegally and was not caught. But in this case, he was caught because he would come into the United States illegally. He would get caught for drunken driving. He would sometimes be deported. That is, till the state of Colorado decided to be a sanctuary state and say, oh, no, we're not going to turn illegal aliens, even the ones that are committing life-threatening crimes against people in our own state, We're not going to turn them over to ICE or CBP or any of the federal agencies for deportation. But he was deported four different times. The latest time that he came in after being deported, which makes his reentry to the United States a federal felony crime, he appeared before a judge uh, on drunk driving charges. And the judge, number one, did not turn him over to ICE, did not keep him in custody, The judge cut him loose. And I hope the voters in that state get rid of that judge at the next election. So four days after he was cut loose from custody, he got drunk again and drove drunk again. And then he crashed his car into 47-year-old Melissa Powell and her son Reardon, who were in their car. They were killed. The illegal alien stayed alive. And then the illegal alien was taken off to the hospital where he received care uh, for his injuries at the expense of American taxpayers. And now he's facing more serious charges. So likely we'll end up paying for his three hots and a cot and medical care and education while he's sitting in prison after the end of his trial. But this is part of what's going on. And where did he come from? He came from El Salvador. And he was arrested multiple times in Boulder, Colorado for DWI, deported, arrested, deported, arrested over and over again. And what's been happening lately? He has even less trouble than ever coming into the United States because Joe Biden has thrown our border wide open. To your calls now at 866-HEY-LARS. Let's start with Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Hey, Lars, love your show. I love the discussion about the border. Yeah, I don't think a war is necessary. You know what the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo is. That's when the yes, I do. Mexican-America War ended. Um, part of that negotiation almost included Baja California. And, you know, recently the president of Mexico recently said, uh, hey, America, give us $20 billion to stop migrants. Well, in the negotiation, the first party that mentions the price essentially loses. So I would take that bet, and I'll take – we'll pay $20 billion. We'll accept – 
a certain number of Mexican citizens to have U.S. Uh, citizenship in exchange for all of the land and rights to the sovereignty of Baja California, all the way down to the tip. And it would be the best economic uh, thing that happened in the world. There wouldn't be a, blo- a drop of bloodshed. And when they did this in the original uh, treaty, 90% of the Mexican citizens wanted to be American citizens. What do you well, think about here's, that? You left, you left one piece of that, that bid that the president of Mexico made to Joe Biden because he did ask for $20 billion. He did ask for all these other gimmies. He also asked that we declare 10 million illegal aliens to be legal residents of the United States. And that's a deal killer, Chris. I mean, because we're seeing in in Joe Biden and in the policies of too many American presidents, Donald Trump was the only one who really stood out as having solid border policies. George W. Bush did not. George, his dad did not. Uh, Obama certainly didn't. And Clinton certainly didn't. But if we tell Mexico we'll let 10 million more illegal aliens become American citizens as part of that deal, and then every one of them gets to have what's called family reunification, which means they get to bring other family members who are also foreign nationals into our country under family reunification. The average right now, the average person who immigrates legally to America and wants to bring in family brings in three more people. So if you say yes to 10 million, you're really saying yes to 40 million people. In other words, you're talking about something that will dramatically change this country. And unfortunately, a lot of these illegals don't have any respect for the laws in this country. And the proof is Mr. Uh, you know, Jose Guadalupe Menjivar Alas, who apparently killed this mother and her son. I'll let you tell me what you think is wrong with that. Well, I just think I'd rather have them living in La Paz and living in La Center, Washington, if they had an economic choice and we stretch the U.S. border south, then they wouldn't have to come as far north. Number So we just make Mexico part of America. It's an interesting idea, but thank you, Chris. I appreciate the call. Let's go to Glenn. Hey, Glenn, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Afternoon, Lars. My concern with the, the school being taken over in New York. The one in New York? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have a feeling that it's going to happen a lot more frequently across the U.S. But my concern is when they move the, uh, the illegals out and they're supposed to clean up after them, after <laughs> the school or what, you know, what's going to happen when one of these schools don't quite get all the fentanyl powder, dust or whatever? And one of the students comes back and gets killed because of this. Nobody's going to pay attention. Glenn, you're right. And I've pointed out to people, I I made that charge, I think, earlier this week, that these people, these illegal aliens wreck any building they're put in. And I gave examples out of New York, out of Los Angeles, out of other cities where the cities had literally gone out and either rented or bought major hotels and said, we're going to put illegal aliens in there. They put them in for a few weeks or a couple of months, and when they're gone, they they leave behind millions and millions of dollars of damage. Because if you're staying in a you know in a building that's that's being gifted to you, so you're getting a free place to live, but you're not paying anything for it, and you're not following the law anyway. Why would you have respect for other people's property when you clearly don't have respect for the laws of the United States? And that's been the experience in the last couple of years. 
of illegal aliens who are given a free place to live, free food, free medical care, and everything else. And the way they pay that back is by wrecking the place they live in. Yeah, that's what's going to happen. You can foresee it. I'm hoping that they're going to issue drug-sniffing dogs through there before they allow the kids to come back in. Let's hope, because you're right. A little bit of fentanyl could end up with one dead high school student. And the idea that American school students are being booted out of their classrooms as they were in Brooklyn, New York, that ought to offend everybody in this country. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Take a walk around your neighborhood. It's Friday, Friday. Yes, Friday. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Thank God it's Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. We will make America great again. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS to speak your mind. Now, First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. And I want to talk about this. I want to start here, but it is First Amendment Friday. So, of course, your phone calls and your emails are welcome because we've been celebrating First Amendment Friday for over a quarter of a century. So we'll get to, you know, phone numbers and all that in just a moment. But I want you to consider something. The federal constitution, the U.S. Constitution, and every single state constitution in America says that owning a gun, keeping and bearing arms, no matter how they word it, it's worded that way in the federal constitution. In state constitutions, the wording tends to be a little bit different. And, of course, we've got 50 different state constitutions, 58 if you're an Obama fan, um, that all word it a little bit differently. But they say that owning a gun is an individual right. And for those of you who say, no, no, it's a collective right, it's a militia right, blah blah No, the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled on that the entire first 10 amendments to the Constitution, the so-called Bill of Rights, is, in fact, a list of limitations on the government taking away individual rights from you. And you need to understand that. Because when you see, say, the First Amendment that says, well, the First Amendment says you have freedom of speech and freedom of the press and freedom of religion, it doesn't say that freedom of religion is a collective right. That if you're a member of a mega church or you, uh, you know, you go to a big mosque that has a lot of adherents going there or you have a, a large synagogue that religion is a, a collective right. No, it's not. It is an individual right of citizens and that right came from God and the government is forbidden to interfere with it. So federal and state constitutions say that owning guns is a right. But now states are starting to say, we won't interfere. I mean, many of them are, but we won't interfere with your right to own a gun. But we're going to interfere with your right to buy ammunition for the gun, which is kind of like saying you can have free speech. You can have freedom of the press, but we're going to license and tax and get in your way if you try to write anything down, if you try to broadcast anything these days, if you try to put something on social media. I'll give you a couple of examples. There are now two states in America. California did it last fall. 
And now the state of Washington is proposing to do the same thing, to put a tax on both firearms and ammunition. California did it. In October of last year, Governor Gavin Newsom decided they would add an 11% state tax on firearms and ammunition. In other words, we're going to cut a lot of people economically out of the ability to own a gun and to buy the ammunition to put in the gun. And now the state of Washington is trying to do the very same thing. And here's where it gets really offensive in the bill they've written to add, not coincidentally, an 11% tax. So California does an 11% tax on guns and ammunition. And now, now the state of Washington wants to put an 11% tax on ammunition for the privilege of buying bullets. In other words, they're trying to change the conversation to some extent and say, well, you uh, owning a gun, that's a God-given right. But buying ammunition, that is in fact a privilege that government allows you to engage in. Now imagine this. I mean, I have a dog in the fight. I own guns. I'm a member of the NRA. I'm a member of other gun rights groups. But to say to people, you have the right to own the gun, but owning the ammunition is a privilege extended to you by your friends in government. And any privilege you get from the government is something the government can go ahead and take away. Now, I want to invite you to First Amendment Friday, and then I'll give you some more details on this. If you'd like to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, you disagree with my point of view, why, you're more than welcome. Naysayers go to the head of the line on this program. Always have, always will. If you want to send me an email instead, that's easy to remember. Talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you'd like to vote in our X poll, we had to change the name. It used to be Twitter. Now it's X. You can find the poll question two places at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Back to the gun issue. I have a dog in the fight. I own guns. I own ammunition. And I consider owning both of them the same thing. That is, if I have a right to keep and bear arms under the U.S. Constitution and under the Constitution at the state level of any state in America that I would choose to live in, if you want to get in the way of that, you best go out and change the Second Amendment. You best go out and change that state constitution. And one side note, that is that most of the state constitutions that have a protection of the right to keep and bear arms are even better written and more solid and less... uh I guess, optional uh, than, than people have seen the Second Amendment at the federal level as. There are people who get into constant arguments. They don't pay attention to the comma that exists in the Second Amendment of the federal constitution. They also don't pay attention to all the decisions that have come down from the U- United States Supreme Court that have made it very, very clear. Owning a gun is a God-given individual right. It is not a right that was created by government. It was not a right that was created by the Second Amendment. It is a God-given right. The Second Amendment tells the government, don't mess with this right. And people need to understand that as well. And I guess these days, given the state of America's schools right now, I'm not that surprised that a lot of kids come out of school thinking, well, I get these rights from the government, and the government can take them away anytime it wants. No, no, you don't. You get the rights by being a human being and living in the United States of America. And in fact, our Constitution extends to everybody in this country, not just citizens, not just green card holders, whether you like it or not. 
And I might even entertain the idea of rewriting that part. Should the Constitution apply to non-citizens, to even to illegal aliens? Well, it does. Whether you like it or not, it does. But would I rewrite it? I might be inclined to rewrite that. But so far, they have not rewritten the Second Amendment of the Constitution. So now we've got two states out of 50 that have decided to start putting a tax on ammunition. As far as I'm concerned, a tax on ammunition is about as un-American and unconstitutional as if they put a tax on free speech, which I'd have to pay a lot for because I engage in a lot of free speech every day. It'd be like putting a tax on Bibles or putting a tax on church attendance, saying you're not allowed to attend unless you pay the government a tax. Heck, they even decided a long time ago because Democrats in America's South decided to put a tax, a poll tax, on voting. And they said, you can't do a poll tax on voting. That's not constitutional. I also think that when California, who's already done it, uh, Gavin Newsom signed the law last fall, and Washington State, which is proposing a tax on ammunition because they consider it a privilege to own a gun and a privilege to be able to buy ammunition for it, I think that is just dead wrong and unconstitutional. It is First Amendment Friday. Your phone calls are always welcome at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Vote in our Twitter poll or X poll. You can find that at Lars Larson Show on our website and at Lars Larson Show on X. Glad to have you with me. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And, of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. So we come up to Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Uh, and I'm glad that we recognize MLK because he was a great conservative. I know the liberals like to treat MLK as though he is the personal property of the Democrat National Committee, but he's not. He was a conservative. He was a man of the cloth. He believed in guns and carrying a gun to protect himself, and he did. He believed in the right to life. He be- believed in faith and family. And did he have a flaw of flaws like uh, like all of us have flaws? Yeah. He had flaws, but uh, I don't focus on the flaws. I focus on some of the good things. So I thought I'd turn to the perfect guy to comment on this, and that's Bob Woodson, our friend who's civil rights veteran, urban community development leader, author, and founder of the Woodson Center, and also was involved in the 1776 Unites Project, the new book called Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Mr. Woodson, welcome back to the program. Uh, so delighted to be here. Absolutely. 
Is the America that we live in today the one that MLK Jr. would have wanted us to have arrived at no, in I think 2024? He would, be, he would be turning over in his grave if he's seen what is being done in the name of civil rights. Uh, what I love about Dr. King was he was a man, a leader who did not just reflect popular opinion or the consensus of the majority. He was willing to challenge and oppose it, even other civil rights leaders. People remember his, uh, his I Have a Dream speech, but the one that stands out for me, uh, that Nelson Mandela quoted when he was released from prison, is his letter from a Birmingham jail when he said that, they, they, that lukewarm, that the, the most difficult challenge that black Americans face is not the White Citizens Council or the KKK. It's lukewarm acceptance from uh, people of goodwill. It's more difficult to tolerate than outright rejection of people of ill will. And that got him in trouble with the leadership. Um, and, and, but he was saying that, that, and that's what he would be talking about, all of this DEI, all these things that are being done in the name of pursuing social justice. He would be uh, opposed to it because Dr. King said, that all of us, black America, must reach down into the deep, dark regions of our soul and sign in indelible ink our own emancipation proclamation. That the victimizer, i.e. racism and all, may have knocked us down, but it is the victim that must get up. Yep. And so that's the Dr. King that I, that who would be uh, front and center in opposition to this grievance-based agenda that masquerades as social justice. Well, doesn't that it's seem sad, Bob, that, large Bob, that, of blacks. You, that you've got people under DEI and CRT who want to tell young Americans who are black or brown, they say, you're a victim. You are a perpetual victim, and the person who's holding you down, the person with his boot on your neck, is a white person only because he has white skin and you are a victim and incapable only because you have black or brown skin. That's incredibly debilitating, uh, you know, to say I'm always going to be a victim because of my skin color. And he's all he or she is always going to be an oppressor because of his or her skin color. That's that's a and that sounds like something they they want to be semi permanent, that that's a permanent view of America. Well, I think it's contributing to the. The Harvard study that talked about the high number of deaths among our young people, um, low expectations and a grievance-based worldview has trapped many low-income blacks in this intellectual prison. When you continue to bombard black children who are constantly being told this false notion that they live in a country that despises and hates them and they are oppressed, it shouldn't surprise anyone that after a while they may begin to feel as if they are unworthy. Yeah. It's the same with black children. If you tell them that they are defined, they are privileged oppressors, and they can begin to feel unworthy as well. That's why this Harvard study said that the leading cause of death of young children today is homicide among blacks, uh, and, and even affluent uh, 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 f- white families in Silicon Valley, the teenage suicide rate is six times the national average. Leading cause of death of poor whites in Appalachia is prescription drugs. 
so this is a this is this is fueling, I think, a moral and spiritual prefall that is destroying a uh, hundred thousand of our young people every year. And 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 if, and if we if we must deracialize race, if we are to really stop this moral and free, spiritual freefall, we've got to get that off the agenda. You know, I'm talking to Bob Woodson, who's uh, the founder of the Woodson Center and the author most recently, or co-author, along with others, in the 1776 Unites Project of Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. Do you know, I hear people, Bob, who are on the left, who will say, and it makes great fodder for my program, where they'll they'll come out and say, why, we're looking at this in, in too much of a colorblind way, and I thought... The whole time I was growing up, it was like we should have a colorblind America where it doesn't matter what color you are when it comes to jobs or employment or, or access to anything in the in our society, whether it's a, a lunch counter uh, or a college, that we should be colorblind. And now all of a sudden, um, you know, the left seems to want us to become color conscious about everything. Well, but there's moral consistencies throughout. If you black, you know, black men are 6% of the population, but they're 80% of the NFL and the NBA. Yeah, true. Does that mean that those uh, in, uh, uh, organizations discriminate against whites? No. <laughs> Think they about just that. happen to be very good. I mean, right. and, and when it comes to and, running, and it's... No, and there are no Asian ta- there's no Asian tackles or Asian guards. <laughs> You know, is that because they discriminate against Asians in football? And, no, you know, and so I, it's, Bob, it's, my, my stat is 90%, 90% of all nurses in America are women, and only 10% are men. Does that mean all those hospitals right. and clinics are discriminating against men? No, it's it's choice. Well, you know, in, in our essays, we, we give them examples of, of how when, when often when whites were at their worst, blacks were at their best. We give example for a real quick one. About 1943, there were no black naval officers because they were denied because of their race. Dilma mm-hmm. Roosevelt persuaded her husband to train her. So the Navy selected 16 black men with college degrees and trained, and, and they said they're going to give them in eight weeks what they give white cadets in 16 weeks, hoping that they therefore will flunk out. Well, when these men found out about it, they covered the barracks with their blankets, and they stayed up and studied all night. And when they were tested at the end of eight weeks, they scored in the 90th percentile. They said, ah, they cheated. So they took them individually. They retested them. They scored the 93rd percentile. Thirteen of them, they're known as the Golden 13. They became the first black naval officers. Lars, that score still stands today in the Naval Training Academy as the highest scores ever obtained by class graduating in that school today. If you we know, were Bob, able to achieve this then, why can't we do that today? We can. But what we can't do is tell kids you're perpetually a victim and you are perpetually a, a, a an oppressor. And we've got to get to back to a colorblind America. And thank God there are people like you who are helping us get there. Bob, thanks very much. His latest book, Red, White, and Black, Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. He is Bob Woodson, founder of the Woodson Center and civil rights veteran. Back in a moment. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls. 866-HEY-LARS. Emails go to talk at LarsLarson.com. 
The Lars Larson Show. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. As you may have noticed, last night and yesterday when we got word that there were airstrikes being taken against Houthi rebels, a lot of us thought, isn't this that same group that Donald Trump had named as a terrorist organization uh, that staked out America's position under Trump. And then Biden came in and, of course, had to reverse anything Donald Trump had done, even if it was a good idea, and reverse that. And now we're bombing that group. Uh, let's ask Brian Clark, who's the head of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson, Hudson Institute. Brian, did I get that mostly right? You did, Lars. It was great. Thanks. Well, I mean, I mean, how in the world is I understand Joe Biden and the Democrats are inclination to say anything Trump's for, even if it's motherhood and apple pie, we're against it, whatever it was. And they come in and they say the Houthis, oh, they're not bad people. Donald Trump was wrong. We're going to rescind that. And now we're bombing the daylights out of them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, part of what's going on is that uh, the Houthis are uh, fighting a civil war against Yemen's government. And the U.S. was trying to make nice with the Houthis in an effort to get a peace deal brokered so that that civil war could be ended. Um, And Saudi Arabia was kind of on board with that idea, too. So that's kind of what was going on in the background when they first came into office. But, of course, since then, the Houthis have taken advantage of that and are now attacking shipping in the Red Sea uh, under the protection of, you know, nobody bothering to attack them until yesterday. Gee, make nice and go along, get along did not impress the people in the Middle East who are mostly impressed by shows of strength rather than shows of of weakness. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Never a good, never a good plan to try to uh, make nice with uh, Middle Eastern terrorists, it seems. Now, what about the tools that, that Biden's using to fight these Iran-backed terrorists? Because, again, Joe Biden wants to make nice with Iran, but Iran is backing the Houthis, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah. So all the weapons that the Houthis have are coming from Iran. They're coming directly from uh, Iran across the Strait of Hormuz into Yemen. Uh, and uh, that includes cruise missiles, ballistic missiles, drones, uh, radar systems. Uh, and all that's being used by Houthi rebels to target ships and attack them in the Red Sea. So uh, what happened last night was the U.S. finally attacked some of those radar sites and some of those weapons caches across uh, the western part of Yemen. So Joe Biden, who freed up $6 billion in frozen assets for his Iranian buddies, and Joe Biden, who jacked up the price of oil and and then said, yeah, the sanctions are still on Iran, but we're not going to enforce them. So Iran has made roughly $50 billion thanks to Joe Biden, and they're spending it buying weapons, giving it to the Houthis, so then America has to go and bomb the weapons out of existence. That's that. I, I have a proper understanding of this. Yes, that's the ecosystem uh, they've set up. So the, and the worst part is Iran is building their own weapons. So they've been able to take advantage of the, the money that's been freed up um, and access to, you know, uh, Western electronics, Western materials that they get, you know, clandestinely. They're not getting this uh, above board. But they've been able to build their own weapons manufacturing industry. So they're building uh, drones for Russia. 
They're building ballistic and cruise missiles for the Houthis. So they're starting to become an arms supplier in their own right. And we've created, I mean, to a large extent, the United States has either allowed or acquiesced to or even helped create the conditions that now have, have us bombing territories. And the Democrats are actually mad at Biden for not asking the permission of Congress before he did this. Right, right. Uh, yeah, there's some some Democrats uh, and a couple of Republicans that you know, were concerned about uh, not having an authorization for use of force, which um, I mean, most most uh, observers, most people in the government said this is self-defense. You know, this is responding to an attack, you know, uh, directly. You know, it's not a random set of strikes that are you know, separated from the conflict. So this is the U.S. just retaliating for the, the shots being fired at, at U.S. forces and shipping. Yeah, and shipping, and that's the other piece of this. I'm talking to Brian Clark, by the way, from the Hudson Institute. He's the uh, head of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology. So we've got shipping that's going through that region, and it's being attacked, and our, our service members are being attacked as well, and the attacks are being launched by people funded by Iran, meaning somewhat funded by the United States, equipped with weapons that come from Iran, paid for by changes in U.S. policy that put $50 billion in the hands of the mad mullahs. You, uh, that is part of that, That's it, definitely. So part of the money that Iran has also comes from China. So China is also buying Iranian oil, uh, just like they've been buying Russian oil. Um, so China is also a contributor to the uh, Iranian arms industry um, and its ability to uh, supply the Houthis and Hamas and Hezbollah. Oh, great. So we can fund the war from the north in Israel, the war from the south in Israel, and we can fund the attacks on U.S. shipping and U.S. military in that in the Red Sea. Right. Oh right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Iran's done a great job of uh, you know, taking advantage of its you know, geographic position and uh, its, uh, you know, act, its relationships with Russia and China you know, to turn themselves into an arms supplier to all the bad actors in the Middle East. At the risk of using the Babylon Bee as a news source, I realize they're a parody source. I get a kick out of them. But they say Joe Biden's approval rating among defense contractors is now nearing 100 percent at this point. <laughs> yeah, there definitely is. Uh, it, they're looking for a strong 2024 for most of these defense contractors just because there's going to be you know, more and more demand. Um, uh, the only question is going to be, is, is the U.S. going to pay for it um, or is it going to be uh, overseas? increasingly is where the defense increases are happening. You know, uh, Japan is doubling their defense budget. So a lot of these defense contractors are looking overseas, too. No doubt. So, Brian, you're the certified smart guy. What's the right way to extricate ourselves from this mess? Well, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to hit these uh, Houthi targets, obviously, but you've got to go back and hit the supply chain. Right. So you've got to you know, you don't have to attack Iran directly, but you can figure out you know, where these uh, supplies are, where the weapons are coming from, what's the transit route, what's the, you know, the, the, the supply chain that's keeping the Houthis uh, armed. Um, and it wouldn't be that hard, you know, data analytics, unmanned systems, we've got a lot of surveillance in the Middle East, obviously. Uh, it wouldn't be hard to trace that out and figure out using uh, AI, you know, where these supplies are coming from and start interdicting them before they can reach Yemen. That's the, that's the way you go after this at the root. Um, you know, and then you start to cut off Iran's access to the sea, even you know within the, the Persian Gulf. So you can start to take actions that maybe are not, uh, you know, they're more escalatory than what they're doing now, without attacking Iran directly. And that would you know cut the Houthis off from their 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 uh, benefactors back in Tehran. 
Does that have much prospect of actually working and working quickly enough to get this to stop? It could if, if they put the effort into it. You know, I think that's exactly the approach that uh, General Carrilla in Central Command uh, and and uh, Admiral Cooper, the, the CENTCOM uh, Navy commander, um, that they would like to pursue, I think, is to go after these supply routes, you know, figure out where they are, start interdicting them, you know, on a more aggressive basis. But they kind of need the White House and the National Security Council to buy off on that uh, because that's going to involve, you know, a lot of uh, stopping vessel traffic, uh, you know, you're preventing people from getting out of Iran and the uh, white house may be concerned that that's too escalatory. And so the Houthis will just get resupplied and reconstituted. By the way, Brian, I'm, I'm a Trump guy. So I, I make a clean breast of that to my audience that I'm a Trump guy, but during Trump, it was always, are you listening to your generals? Is Trump listening to his generals? Is Joe Biden or whoever it is that's running the show over the White House, uh, since we didn't have defense secretary for a while and didn't even know it, um, is is there evidence the White House is actually paying attention to what the Pentagon is telling him he should do? Because they told him about what was going to happen in in Afghanistan, and he apparently didn't listen to that. He said, forge ahead. And uh, is he listening now is the short, quick uh, question at the end. Yeah, so I think he listens, but he's making decisions based on political considerations more than on military considerations. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Brian, thank you very much. That's Brian Clark, head of the Center for Defense Concepts and Technology at the Hudson Institute. Back in a moment, I'll get to your phone calls on this First Amendment Friday. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. political climate. He's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you, especially on a First Amendment Friday. If you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. If you happen to be a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line as we do every other day of the week. But on First Amendment Friday, phone lines are open and your comments are certainly welcome. Uh, In a moment, I want to tell you about the latest crazy thing involving hard drugs. If you thought it was going absolutely nuts in the United States, in Canada, they've gone off the rails because Canada has a problem as well with hard drugs, especially fentanyl. Fentanyl is killing uh, the majority of drug overdose deaths in America right now are from fentanyl. Same thing is true in Canada. So what is Canada's brilliant idea for solving this problem? They have started to give safe fentanyl, meaning It's coming from, it's provided by the government of British Columbia in this case. And they want to give safer fentanyl, meaning that uh, when, you know, if a drug dealer gives you some fentanyl, you don't know what's in it. You don't know what the concentration is. And sadly, a lot of people take doses of fentanyl that end up overdosing them and they die. Now, if your reaction like my reaction is, is, well, you shouldn't be taking it to begin with. That's true. But Canada decided to help address this problem by saying, well, if you're getting these unreliable fentanyl pills on the street, why doesn't the government just provide the fentanyl pills for you? And then you'll know that you're getting safe 
d- doses of, of, an, of, of a recreational hard drug. Well, guess what? Uh, there's a journalist in uh, British Columbia by the name of Adam Zevo. I'm not, I haven't talked to him. I don't know him. But he says that their newest plan is that they're going to give safe fentanyl no matter what your age is, meaning that uh, uh, children will be able to get safe fentanyl supply from the government of British Columbia. And by the way, your parents will have absolutely nothing to say about whether or not the kids get safe fentanyl or not. It's a kind of crazy liberal idea. I'd almost expect some you know, crazy liberals to adopt in the United States as well. Hey, if the street drugs are dangerous... Why doesn't the government just start providing hard drugs for the population and kids, too? As crazy as that is. Let me go to uh, a naysayer. Uh, Craig, we love naysayers on this program. Uh, What's on your mind today? Uh, Good afternoon, Lars. I'm I'm usually 99.9% agreeing with everything that you say. However, the the, the, um, – Teachers. Uh, I, I think you told the producers you want to talk about teachers versus non-teachers because now we've got all these labor unions that represent teachers that say we want to yeah. have more non-teachers hired by public schools because that's going to make education better. I see how it makes things better for the union. Why is uh, why is it that most school districts have more non-teachers than teachers if the whole point of school is to teach? Well, uh, the, the full... Uh, spectrum of, of uh, employees in a school, you have uh, cooks, custodians, uh, secretarial staff, and facilities, which uh, facilities is where I work. I work in a school district. And uh, with without these people, these schools would not be able to function. I, I get that, Craig. But I, no, but hold on. Let me ask you. If you have a school, let's just make the math easy for a dummy like me, because I was taught by unionized teachers back in the day um, in As public I. school. <laughs> I, I didn't go to private school. And uh, if you have a school that has 200 teachers, does it take more than 200 cooks, custodians, uh, assistants, secretaries to run a school with 200 teachers you need 300 non-teachers to run a school well i think what's happening is they're not hiring uh qualified teachers they're they're hiring teachers assistants yeah but the janitor isn't helping they're hiring teachers assistants who are gophers for the teacher right exactly exactly so hold on how many how many gophers should you need if you've got a hundred teachers in the school and you've got two custodians and six cooks and the principal's secretary and a whole bunch of other people who are not teaching, they're doing non-teaching jobs. How in the world do you get to a greater number of non-teachers than teachers unless it is assistance? And I mean, should a, should a, a man or a woman teaching a class of 25 kids how many assistants do you need to make that happen? Well, I think the fat lies within the administrations. Oh, I, the I administrators, agree with you. They, paper they, have, they have, yeah, they, they, they in, invent positions for people that um, really have no, no function in the school other than to warm a seat. And, well, well you know, then you're I, agreeing I, with I, me, I'm, right? I'm, I do agree with you on 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 the fact that uh, there's not enough teachers 
qualified teachers to teach our kids. And the ones that are qualified aren't teaching our kids. They're, they're teaching their ideals. And I agree. That, They're indoctrinating kids to the to values and uh, sexuality and all this other stuff. I agree with you, absolutely. but that's a separate problem. Let's start with the first problem. In any school district that has, say, 8,000 uh, total school employees, shouldn't about 6,000 of them be teachers and the smaller number be all the other folks it takes to run the institution? That would probably depend on the size of the district. Hold on. Scaling up or scaling down, shouldn't the ratio be pretty close to the same? If you need X number of teachers, is the number of non-teachers one quarter of that, one half of that, or equal to that, or greater than equal to that? I mean, no matter how big or small the district is. I'll give you an example, and it goes right to administration, Craig. For a long time, I've used the example, New York public schools teach about 1.1 million kids. The uh, Catholic mm-hmm. Archdiocese that runs the biggest sco- uh, private schools in New York City is about one-tenth the size. They have 110,000 kids, so it's 10 to 1, right? 1.1 million public, 110,000 Catholic. The public schools mm-hmm. with 1.1 million s- students have 9,000 administrators in that district. And you'd say, well, then how many do the Catholics have? One-tenth of that, 900? No, they have 28 28 administrative positions, so the ratio is really high, teachers to administrators, whereas in the public schools, you got 9,000 people in a school district to teach a million kids or 1.1 million kids. Um, it doesn't, and, and most of the teachers who work for the Catholic, and I'm not Catholic, so I'm not biased that way, um, but most of the teachers get paid less to teach in a, a Catholic school why? Because they have actual discipline in the classrooms. And if you get out of line, there's a consequence. Whereas in the public schools, I mean, teachers routinely get shot, knifed, raped, assaulted, and in every, every other kind of ugly thing happens in the public schools, mm-hmm. which is a problem you can solve, but you have to solve it by actually having consequences when kids get out of line. Craig, I appreciate a good naysayer call, but it turns out we agree on more than you might have thought. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show.